welcome to the very first episode of the Moringa podcast where we will be talking on only and only all the aspects of Moringa be it from health nutrition farming climate change including everything of Moringa perspective my name is Dupankar Verma i'm a managing partner of Terry Exports which is Moringa specialized exports oriented in india our mission is to bring premium moringa on the table in the form of food beverages and cosmetics and to begin with on the very first episode of the moringa podcast i am deeply and beyond thrilled and excited to welcome dr kerry waterman from california she is one of the renowned researchers and scientists in the field of moringa research i am thrilled to welcome dr kerry waterman dr kerry a very very warm welcome to you and sincerely appreciate for coming over on our first episode thank you so much for having me it's my pleasure to be here thank you i know that you have been traveling around and you have been on your hectic travel and since you made a time for this podcast uh, once again i sincerely appreciate and you know a deep gratitude to you thank you to for having with, me yes to begin with dr kerry uh, what exactly moringa is if you can just describe a bit for our listeners sure uh, so moringa olifera is usually what's commonly referred to as moringa and it is a plant and tree native to india and pakistan the border in the region of the himalayas uh it currently grows throughout the world uh through cultivation in the tropics and subtropical regions it's a very hardy drought tolerant plant and many parts of the plants are used for medicine and the leaves are also used as a nutrient dense source of vitamins protein amino acids and also it has some very bioactive phytochemicals that can have um pretty potent health benefits yes um So, uh, Dr. Kerry, I know that you have been in research of moringa, as I mentioned in your introduction. So, what makes you so deeply passionate about moringa? Um, I'm passionate about it because it's it's really just a fascinating plant. Um, I mean, I love most plants and and seeing their strategies to survive on this earth and and combat, um, you know, what they are faced with. Uh I think moringa is particularly interesting because of its multiple uses. Um not just every part of the plant has uses, but um in different sectors in terms of not just human health uh and nutrition, but also for agricultural uses, for water purification, for animal feed uh and reforestation and regeneration of land. Um so While I've been studying it for over 20 years, I continue to be amazed by the plant and um just I I can as I answer more questions about it, I continue to have more questions. So it's definitely kept my interest and as I've spent time both in the US and overseas in developing countries, I'm, you know, really looking for what what I'm calling and some people call smart crops, meaning that they meet social or health uses. economic benefits and environmental benefits. So moringa is an excellent example of a smart crop um that meets these multiple uses and can help people and the environment all throughout the value chain. 
Yes. Um, uh, Dr. Kerry, how true and scientific is that uh, Moringa can help in prevention and cure of almost 300 diseases? Is it true? And how scientific is that? And what's what's your what's your thoughts on on this, uh, Dr. Kerry? Um, yeah, this is a, a tricky question, I would say. So um, I've I've heard this statement before, and as a scientist, I would say that despite its thousands of years of uses in terms of very Western science, a lot of um, a lot of this hasn't been shown in robust placebo-controlled trials yet. Um, but anecdotally, and the fact that it has persisted through time for thousands of years, however, intervention and management of diseases, moringa is a, a green leafy vegetable. So we know that eating more vegetables is good for our health, right? So even stepping outside of moringa, eating anything with a lot of fiber and nutrients is going to help keep us well and um, and providing basic nutrition. We need these things to boost our immunity to keep us uh, healthy. Um, and as I said, this association with uh, inflammation, I think is quite interesting and critical. In terms of treatment of diseases, I would say that there is, again, less evidence in terms of clinical studies, but people have been using it for a long time and a few studies have been done maybe in the last 10 to 20 years. And those have really been focused on addressing malnutrition, so really increasing uh, vitamin A levels and iron. And then a lot of work has been done with diabetes and obesity. There's also been quite a bit of work on breast milk supply and infant weight gain uh, uh, from the Philippines where Moringa is also commonly used. I've read one study on addressing the symptoms of asthma using Moringa seeds and um, it had some pretty compelling evidence that we actually used in a proposal to see if we could uh, address and prevent COVID-19 because a lot of those symptoms are the same. Again, inflammation um, within the lungs. Uh, we, I also partner with an organization that's focused on using Moringa to address sickle cell anemia, which makes sense again because of the high iron levels. And uh, overall, yeah, we are pushing forward to get more scientific evidence to kind of pair and complement with the traditional uses. Yes, I mean, since uh, yes, this is absolutely right that you know, uh, research there's a lot of research required to be you know, sort of reach on to conclusion that you know, a certain number of diseases can be sort of cured or prevented with the use of moringa. Although, as you mentioned, that you know, having uh, green leafy vegetables in your daily routine and daily diet it helps it helps a lot in terms of you know keeping you healthy having high immunity especially these days when you require when when we are going through pandemic of covid there's a high necessity of keeping you know one uh, one uh, oneself uh, immune so dr kerry i would want to ask you now mm -hmm. the commercialization of moringa how do you see the role of uh, a role of uh, moringa commercializing and uh, the one company that is you know coming to my mind is Kuli Kuli from California they have done uh, a stupendous job in you know sort of mark marketing moringa and taking moringa to uh, uh, masses so how do you see the role of governments other nutrition companies food companies they are accepting moringa and uh, you know the moringa reaches to the ma mass people so what what are your thoughts on that uh, doctor uh, yeah, another very complex uh, question, I think. And, you know, 
Like any market, commercialization depends on supply and demand. Uh, I think that there will be a continued niche uh, within the food and dietary supplement industry that will address uh, what we're calling super those in quotes. Uh, and so I think that will continue. It's still, at least in the U.S., only represents a small portion of the market. 80s and some of the work with some church organizations has always promoted Moringa kind of in line with um, the benefit of people, right? So really addressing some of the, the first three UN sustainability goals of poverty, uh, nutrition, basic food, and then health and well-being. That said, there are plenty of Moringa products on the market. You can look on Amazon and you can find 20 different kinds. So how do you know? And with all dietary supplements, especially if they're processed into a value-added product or even just as a powder, it's hard to always guarantee the quality of that. I have consulted for Cooley Cooley and we they I do know that they have robust quality control and quality assurance. All of those things up the cost of their Moringa. So they're constantly in this battle of staying competitive on the market as well as maintaining a high quality product. Moringa is a tricky plant in that it's related to the brassicas and mustard family where it's a bioaccumulator. So it will pull both nutrients that we want from the soil but it will also pull heavy metals and any toxins that are in the soil. So you really do need to make sure that the Moringa that you're consuming or buying is of high quality, especially if you're taking it for these health benefits. Um, you don't want a contradictory effect with heavy metals. And sometimes these can be present in the natural environment. It's not always a toxic effect. For example, in California, we have high levels of arsenic in the water supply. So. You just have to you have to have a company that really tests their product and makes sure that it's good. Yes, and since there's a there's a there's a specific taste about moringa. I mean, it's uh, it's raw, it's grassy, it's sort of I don't know if 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 it's right to call it bitter. So, mm -hmm. is there in terms of commercialization uh, while reaching out to the masses to the number uh, to higher number of people? So, is taste the impediment, um, Dr. Karin? If if taste is is the the impediment, how how we can tackle in terms of you know reaching out to moringa? Um, yeah, I I agree. I think that it has a unique flavor. A lot of a lot of things that are healthy for us don't taste sweet, um, particularly beneficial medicinal compounds have a bitter taste, right? That's uh, the plant is producing these compounds for their own self-defense so that they're not eaten by other bugs and insects. Now, when we take in those compounds, they provide beneficial effects to us. So I do know that there are companies both trying to remove some of the bitter tasting compounds or mask it with other flavors and um, that's a tricky thing. Again, it's going to come down to very specific um, before and after treatments. If you're masking it with additional sugars or things like that, then that's probably not beneficial if your aim is to get the health benefits. Uh, certainly other things can complement it. Uh, I think, you know, Cooley Cooley has a, a smoothie powder, so there's chocolate and moringa. 
for me, one of my favorite combinations is with ginger and lemon and honey because the ginger kind of has its own zing and spice in a different uh, style or element. And so I think they can go quite nicely together. I encourage everyone to try fresh moringa as well as the dried. A lot of this comes down to both taste and medicine comes down to the dosage. So how much are you taking? And, and that's a common statement. What's the difference between the cure and the poison is the dose. And so, for example, we are just starting a clinical study in Kenya and we are doing acceptability and feasibility. So sure, the more Moringa you take up to a certain limit is gonna have some health benefits. So we're, we're trying to aim for about 20 grams of dried Moringa powder in uh, typically consumed porridge. Once we tried it, it was too much. So we are going to 10 grams twice a day, right? And so this is very critical, especially when you say things like Moringa cures something. Well, how much Moringa are you taking? What kind of Moringa are you taking? How was it processed? Um, Correct. So unfortunately, when you talk to scientists, they will only come back at you with very vague answers <laughs> and saying more studies are needed. And what specifically are you talking about, right? So. My interest as a natural products chemist has been in the isothiocyanates that are formed from precursor molecules that are glucosinolates. Now in the processing, you may lose all of those. So if I was taking it for medicinal uses, I would wanna know what's the concentration of those compounds. That would be more important to me than, you know, the taste. Now, for example, the seeds contain high levels of these compounds where the leaves don't. If I'm approaching it from a nutritional perspective, if I needed iron, then I would definitely want the leaves. Um, so I think there's a lot of work to be done and I have tasted products that um, are quite nice. There's a company in Kenya, Botanic Treasures, that makes Moringa tea and they also produce stevia. So they're using stevia as a sweetener and they've blended it with hibiscus and prunus. They have different uh, varieties of teas for different purposes and it's blended in. Obviously, the lower you go on the scale in terms of less content, it's you're not gonna taste it as much. So there's a lot of publications, um, you know, having school children taste it. What's the, what's the level that we can put in where it's still acceptable? And how long do you plan to take it? Is this something that's gonna be in your daily diet or is it something that you're taking for a three week period because you've been sick or something? Problem. I mean Having said that, uh, one of our clients in Australia, they have been doing some wonderful things with Moringa while, you know, adding with chocolate and adding stevia and, you know, things like that, that makes Moringa taste much more better and, you know, consumable with, uh, for, for consumers. So, <laughs> and on another note, Dr. Kerry, I would want to ask since Moringa is used for, you know, in eradication of hunger and raising nutrition index, and since we want to work with UN, their World Food Program, uh, how good it that can be? The Moringa can play a role in terms of, uh, you know, eradicating or helping in terms of eradicating the hunger and raising the nutrition index. Um, yeah, I think that this is definitely possible. I would say that I have not seen data from a robust study that's really looking at, um, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into addressing hunger, right? It's not just we have this food that's nutrient dense. It's also about access to that, acceptability. Um, so there, it's, it's a complex issue. And this is certainly something that people 
um, a lot of these agencies like the UN and FAO and USAID have been trying to address for 30, 40, 50 years. And so I believe that Moringa is certainly a tool and as I said, a smart crop that can be integrated into malnutrition and undernutrition programs. Uh, it's also though about implementation strategy and monitoring and evaluation of these programs. I've certainly met people in Africa who have gone in and been doing this for 10 years and I ask them, this is great. They say the kids are healthier and happier and they're running around. And I ask them, do you have data to support this so we can publish papers on this and share it? And usually they don't. So there's sometimes a disconnect between um, the science that provides just a bit of objectivity to these uh, issues. Um, but I am, I am definitely very interested. And I do believe that from the data that I've seen and the practicality of growing Moringa in a lot of settings that are facing um, food insecurity issues that it is a great place to start yes i mean where i'm coming from is i give you an anecdote because in cuba there's a head of moringa program dr campa she's a great researcher and back in 2010 when there was uh, a sort of cyclone or there was a disaster uh, an environmental disaster in haiti in 2010 so dr campa advised to have and, moringa. Um, yeah Sorry, and so I, I think moringa is a great go ahead yeah please carry, okay? carry. yeah absolutely no um so i believe that if you look at this kind of food security plates we would want a grain some lentils or beans some greens and some orange sweet potatoes or carrots or some of these other kind of um vitamin A rich plants, although Moringa is also quite rich in vitamin A. So I think it's it's one of the tools. I wouldn't say it's the only one. We know so little about so few of the plants that people traditionally used for health and nutrition. A lot of indigenous and local greens um, can have even higher levels of some of the nutrients than Moringa, but it is gaining steam. It has had um, funding across different countries. And so I'm definitely eager, um, you know, we've applied for Bill and Melinda Gates funding, and I'm definitely eager to work with the FAO and the World Food Program to try and integrate Moringa in. It just, again, you have to look at it from an economic and environmental and a social aspect. Uh, so that, you know, where is the Moringa coming from? Are the are the farmers who are growing it that are supplying it for the World Food Program doing okay themselves? Are they able to eat Moringa? You know, these are the kinds of questions that I'm looking at because I've certainly seen some Moringa companies that are growing it, but the farmers themselves are still well below the poverty line. Chocolate is a similar situation. You know, about 6% of the revenues from chocolate are the Moringa is, is prime and ready to go into some of these programs. It just needs to start small and have a couple pilot studies, you know, maybe in South America, in Africa, in Asia, Australia, the US, and see how it goes. Um, because it's not a one size fits all thing. And you can't also, people need to want to eat it, right? So. The Bill and Melinda Gates, the last call that was not accepted for us, talked about, you know, the, the new wave of nutrition being it being affordable, accessible and appealing. Um, so I think Moringa has potential. We just need to start um, start trying it out um, and not making these very broad statements like Moringa can 
end world hunger. You know, I mean, it takes a lot. And uh, Dr. Kerry, um, so how how one should be, you know, in terms of sourcing organic moringa, how to check the quality of moringa? Although you have mentioned about a lot of other factors like heavy metals, the soil, the environment, where it is being grown, what sort of uh, uh, manufacturing process it has been going on, what, what sort of utensils or you know, uh, the parts in in factories where the moringa powder or etc. or other products have been manufacturing. So what what are the what are the things that you know companies or governments or any NGOs they should keeping in mind while you know sourcing moringa? Yes. Um, so unfortunately, we can't see heavy metals, we can't see molds, we can't see aflatoxins, these types of things. So you ultimately need a laboratory test, and that costs money. Um, so if we're sourcing this for large populations, you need a consistent supply, at least from the same place, and then uh, regular testing of the material. On a very, very crude level, the color makes a difference. Uh, the greener it is, usually the higher quality it is. Chlorophyll is a association with levels of vitamin C and other nutrients. Um, so there's a general association with higher nutrients are going to be a greener color. That said, that also might mean that it wasn't dried at a very robust temperature. It wasn't Correct. sterilized. So it being very green might also mean that it has bacteria or mold if it's not tested for those other things. Heavy metals don't care whether it's green or not. <laughs> um, so at, at um, you know, there is a sensory element to it in terms of that and also just the homogeneity of the sample, right? So you look at some and you can see that there's clearly some stems. So in the processing, when they're taking leaves off, how much are they separating? Because the leaves are going to be more nutrient dense than the stem. So that's another kind of quality control. So if it starts to look a little harsh and crushed and you see some white stems in there, it's not usually going to be as high quality. We've done several tests from organically certified products in the U.S. to very local produced kind of barely quantified Moringa and looked at different levels of nutrients and heavy metals. And I would say it's not always associated with the price or the source. There are definitely organically certified Moringa products on the U.S. market that tested high in bacteria, molds, and heavy metals, and agricultural toxins as well, so, or agricultural inputs, pesticides. And that might not be from direct application. It could certainly be from a neighboring farm or from a water source. So it is tricky, you know, it's not always easy. Um, I recommend that people, uh, you know, whatever we put in our body, know as much as you can about it and free to contact the company and can you send me your analysis? Um, and in my research, I've contacted companies that I've tested their materials and, um, you know, said, hey, look, we, we did this third party analysis and um, it looks like there's some contamination. And it's not it's not always intentional, right? Um, I think we're all trying to do our best and it's just a tricky thing with plants. They are, you know, different every time depending on so many conditions. So I commend those in the Moringa business <laughs> for <laughs> battling, battling these issues constantly, you know, and trying to keep the price down for the consumer while providing a high quality product. It's not something that's manufactured. It is made by nature. 
Um, and so we have to be, uh, you know, we have Alert. to see where that where that pans out. Yeah. It's sort of, you know, as they say, it is what it is. So we just cannot do nothing if, because nature has given us. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's, yeah. So let's move on to climate change. You know, the hot topic mm-hmm. these days globally. Uh, yes. where, wherever you go, wherever any any intergovernmental meet, uh, it is the number one topic for everyone, you know, in terms of uh, addressing the climate change and the effects it gets it. So there's a research I was going through, uh, Dr. Kerry. There's a Japanese research which says that Moringa seeds or, you know, the, the plant that is uh, grown, uh, it, it absorbs 20 to 50 times more carbon than the other normal vegetation. How true is that? Because the paper has been published and I have gone through that paper. I have I've seen that. Uh, yes, I believe it was a book. I haven't. I tried to find the original source too and I thought it came from a book and um, it is definitely interesting. So again, it's what are we talking about here? Are we talking about a 20 year old Moringa tree? Or are we talking about a little Moringa seedling? Some people grow Moringa in intensive beds where they cut them frequently for harvest. So is it all the same? Probably not. So I wouldn't pin one number on it um, necessarily. I think more work has to be done in this field to really look at the range of carbon sequestration. I do think it's um, a powerful plant to address climate change. Absolutely. Not just because of its carbon sequestration, but also because of its drought tolerance and its ability to grow with less water. This is becoming critical in areas like California, where we are very much suffering from drought and we have a very traditional agricultural economy. Uh, California is the fifth largest economy in the world, producing almonds, strawberries, tomatoes, all of these crops that require high levels of water and you drive down the center of California now and you see just orchards tipped over. So we are pushing Moringa as an alternative to some of these more high high water consuming crops. So um, this also needs to be addressed more scientifically. What is the exact comparison of water consumption um, to Moringa? And and again, I really like this idea of looking at it from from a health perspective, an environmental perspective, and an economic perspective. And how do those three things line up? So even saying like, what's the, if we wanna get, you know, vitamin A, what's the cheapest, most environmentally friendly way to get vitamin A into people? Is it Moringa? You know, and and so looking at those things and is California different than India? Is it different than Kenya? Is it different than Colombia? Yes. Um, So again, I provide you with a vague answer with only more questions, Um, but with so much excitement that Moringa is, um, you know, should be in our toolbox of addressing climate change. You know, I, I think that's the beauty of talking to a scientist. You ask them a question and they throw you back the question. More study needs to be done. <laughs> <laughs> More studies need to be done. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's, um, I mean, I haven't, I wouldn't be able to name off other plants that I would recommend as much as Moringa for addressing this and, and particularly because of its multiple uses. So, um, and, and economic security, for example, in, in Kenya, where I am now, many of the farmers are growing maize um, and it's, you know, it's for their human consumption. But if there isn't enough water, they don't have enough inputs, they're not getting that food. 
Now with Moringa, if you grow it for your own consumption and you have access, for example, or you know, not enough, you can then use it as animal feed or you can, if it doesn't come out as high quality, you can integrate it back into the soil um, for nutrients to provide to the plant. So that's to me what makes it so vital, you know, um, and so critical for people's use as we face climate change. Yes, I think there have been, you know, multiple applications of Moringa. Since you mentioned about animal feed, I must say, you know, we have been working, I mean, we are in the midst of working with the with the government in GCC region for, you know, setting up their cattle feed of industry there. They want to use Moringa. Excellent. Yes, Excellent. because it increases, it increases um, the yield, the yield of the animal products and the meat again, you know, and besides that, you know, a lot of the applications you can just derive from that. So it's it's really great. And uh, on personal side, uh, how do you, uh, do you do you consume Moringa? I must ask you, Dr. Gary, you as a researcher, as a yeah. scientist, do you consume yourself I'm- Moringa? I do. I just want to step back one other thing with in terms of the cattle and climate change, um, if you don't mind. I mean, if you look at uh, global food production or agricultural production, about, you know, more than half is going to animal feed. Like, we can't forget that. that India actually is really producing a lot of food for people, but Africa and Brazil and the U.S. is often producing, um, you know, wheat and grain and corn to be eaten by cattle. This also produces high levels of methane from the cattle production. And I have read a study, I can try and send it to you, that cows that consume Moringa actually produce less methane gas, um, which is also fascinating. So it could be, again, a multi-prong approach to sequestering carbon and reducing methane outputs. Um, while still while keeping the cows a lot healthier and happier than feeding them corn, which their bellies and very complex digestive systems are not not supposed to be eating really. Um, That being said, moving on to the next question. Yeah, I do consume Moringa, but I am, I don't always practice what I preach. I am not consistent. I don't have uh, my own personal amazing anecdotal stories. I have been taking it a bit more um, in the past year and a half, particularly the seeds. I sometimes just eat them raw, but often take them as capsules because one capsule is about one seed, which is much more practical than people taking Moringa leaf powder as a capsule because probably from the evidence you need about 10 grams of, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of capsules, whereas the seeds have this, you know, these rich isothiocyanate. So I've been taking that and, um, you know, with, with medicine, it's interesting. I mean, the, the placebo effect is very strong, you know, and, and what we believe is keeping us healthy and making us healthy can have a strong effect. And so that's where I do like, I do like science to step in and say like, is this more powerful than what we're just imagining happening to us? Um, I think that again, it's not just Moringa. We need to be taking care of ourselves. Um, This is one plant. It is an amazing, incredible plant. It's carried me through my career and I could probably live more lifetimes just studying this plant. Um, But, you know, but anything we we need to be eating healthier. There's there's garlic, turmeric, ginger and all of these things that are also 
um, a part of the a part of the story, I think, and moringa is definitely in there, as well as other indigenous uh, leafy vegetables that I think um, need more research done as well. But it's um, you know I've been maybe three years ago I was in a rural part of Tanzania and they were facing facing extreme food insecurity issues and. Um, health issues, there was nothing really growing, maybe eating one meal a day, and there were all these moringa trees. So they didn't, they had only heard of it as a seed crop for oil production. It was an area that had once been occupied by sunflowers. So it had been introduced there as a, an oil seed, um, but they didn't know that they could be, the leaves could be eaten. So just in our intervention for addressing food, we thought this is the only thing growing in this drought prone area. And they were able to incorporate into that diets and um, increase their health. Uh, so that's currently what we're trying to do too here in Kenya is look at some of these remote areas where they don't really have access to any vegetables. And then this is a really hardy one that can come in. Um, so I certainly believe in it and I've certainly heard and seen many stories from people, friends, colleagues, um, people who email me all the time and say, this is really, you know, changed um, for me. I think I'm just always a bit more skeptical and, you know, I'm not um, like the opposite of a hypochondriac. I'm like, just eat whatever and we'll, hopefully we'll be okay unless <laughs> I get really sick. Um, but, but definitely, I mean, it's, you know, vitamin C, zinc, calcium, magnesium, the amino acids, lysine, methionine. We need these things to be to be strong and to fight off not just COVID, but all kinds of viruses and bacteria. So yeah, bring it on. And if this one you can, it's dense, it's nutrient dense. Moringa only contains 80% water or most vegetables are 90, 95% water. So you get more bang for your buck in terms of consuming it. So yes, I think it's um, I think it's good for keeping us healthy and, and certainly now um, with the pandemic. Yes, correct. And one very last question, uh, Dr. Kerry, how do you, mm -hmm. especially, you know, we have been going through pandemic COVID-19, how do you see the consumer pattern changing uh, for food system? Are the consumers, um, going to the healthy foods or would they be you know once pandemic is over they are back to their normal uh, routine or you know how, how do you see the consumer pattern changing these days um yeah i think that the the bulk of the consumer market is is still somewhat mandated by price and access so unfortunately the pandemic while it also decreased everyone's health it also decreased people's ability to spend money um, and so from speaking with a lot of Moringa companies, they are not doing that well. And I had hoped to kind of hear that same thing, right? That, oh, maybe your sales went up because people are eating healthier. Um, but I just think that while that may be the case, um, the economic complexity of the pandemic is, is a bit overshadowing this need for healthier foods. I think people generally unless they're very aware, um, don't really start to address things until they get sick. And so sometimes that occurs in older people or unless they really have that knowledge from the beginning, um, don't use something until they get sick, unfortunately. So I do think there's potential for it to increase because of that. Um, but again, people need money in their pockets. And so part of our current grant in California and this idea of food security is that 
you have your own moringa plant at your home, right? It doesn't take much to grow moringa. And, and, and that doesn't discourage the market of buying very cool products and, and things that taste good and are blended and accessible. For example, I'm traveling right now, so I have my, my powder with me. But at home, I usually just go out and eat my fresh vegetables. Maybe I use some of the powder in my rice or something. Um, popcorn, actually, I like it on popcorn. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm more of a savory eater, so I, you know, that's that's my tendency. But uh, yeah, I hope that I hope that we continue to try and and eat healthier. It's you're also up against, uh, you know, huge huge in industries that don't always promote healthy foods, right? The sugar industry is very large, and um, you know, if it's it's just hard because we biologically will enjoy the taste of unhealthy foods so to combat that is always a challenge and it definitely involves not just personal choice but government and um and marketing and these types of things so i i hope that um, there's more policies that promote healthy consumption subsidies for farmers that are growing healthy foods uh and and those types of things so i am I am again impatiently optimistic to see moringa and other other foods like it really enter in um, at, at a larger scale. Interesting. So, Dr. Gary, on that note, uh, allow me to uh, you know wrap up uh, wrap up this uh, the first episode of this moringa podcast. And once again, I express my deep, deep gratitude to you to coming over on our opening episode of the Moringa podcast and share your sharing your, you know, deep and practical experiences of your, uh, you know, on, on Moringa research that you have shared with our listeners to us. Once again, I sincerely appreciate and listeners stay tuned to our upcoming episodes, episodes on Moringa. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much.